Today is part two. We, we launched this last week, and I'm excited to keep going, to go a little bit deeper. By the end of this series, uh, I, I hope, my, my, my desire is that we become a little more intentional with how we worship, when we worship, and our worship altogether. Not only that, but maybe we, we get a little more educated on, on what happens even in the Spirit. Today, this is a bit of a disclaimer. Today I'm going to talk about a, a, a large, huge, giant benefit that comes to our life as we worship. However, the disclaimer is that worship has to be done in spirit and in truth, which means we don't worship to get any benefits that we talk about. We worship because we look at Jesus and what he's done for us and his love for us moves us to worship. That's true worship. If I'm looking at any benefits that happen to me during worship and I think, okay, I'm going to go worship now for 30 minutes and I bet you I'll start receiving some of those benefits. That's not true worship. That's, that's like when you're, that, that, that's, that's a different kind. That's like when my kid was, was younger and you know, they come up and they sit on your lap looking all cute, you know, using those big, we used to call it Judah. Uh, have you ever seen Shrek, the cat, Puss in Boots? And when he wants something, he, he looks up and his eyes get real big and, and nobody can say no to him because he's just so cute. When Judah was younger, he had those big eyes and he could be hitting you in the thigh as hard as he can. And then all of a sudden he, he, he realizes there's something he wants out of you that's not just to fight. And he looks up with those eyes. He goes, hey, can we please go throw the ball in the, in the yard? And of course I want to throw the ball in the yard, but sometimes you don't want to the ball in the yard with the kid that's just punching you in the thigh the whole time. But when he uses those eyes, you know, and, and he's all cute and little, you just go do it. You make time. That's not, that, that's not how we should worship. We don't try to get all, I'm your son and, or, or, or I'm your daughter and I love you so much and you've been so good to me. I'm going to worship you for a little while and I can, I can receive these benefits. No, the disclaimer is we worship in spirit and truth. And, and if you're saying, how do you do that? How do I know if I'm worshiping without trying to get benefits? It's simple. When you begin to look at Jesus, when you take real time out of your day to intentionally dwell on his goodness, you will be moved to worship. You're not going to have to sit there and wonder, am I doing this for the right reasons? No. When you know him, and you spend time remembering who he is, what he's done for you, his great deep love for you, just the fact, the greatest gift of all that we did not deserve to be saved, but he came and he lived for us. And the punishment that we were owed, he took for us. And now we get to be with him forever. We're not separated from God because of our sin, our failures that we're all born into. But now we are born into a new life in Christ, it will move you to worship every time. It will move you to worship every time. Uh, that's why I love using music to worship. You know, I've, I've said this over and over again, but music is not worship. What the band did up here in the natural is not worship. In the natural, they just played music. Now, when they play their instruments unto the Lord, it becomes worship. When we set words and lyrics to the music that turn our gaze towards heaven, Music becomes a device to carry our worship to the Lord. But worship is not music, and it's not something we just do on Sunday. It can be a part of everything we do. I'm going to start with a bit of review for this message. I want to read the definition of worship again, just like I did last week, in case you guys weren't here. But the definition of worship as a noun is reverence, high esteem, high regard, adoration, praise, thanksgiving. 
The definition of worship as a verb to show reverence and adoration for, to honor, to glorify, to magnify. And my favorite part of the definition, to be wild about. I mean, are you wild about something? That's what you worship. Here's the thing. Nothing in the definition says worship or adoration to God. Nothing in this definition says to be wild about God is to worship. Here's what the definition can show us. Every one of us worship something. You worship the thing you adore. You worship the thing you are honoring. You, you worship the thing you are magnifying. You know what a magnifying glass does? It makes something look bigger, right? It makes everything else look smaller. You know, when you get a bad doctor's report and, and it completely knocks you off your feet and you can't think about anything else and it's filling up every thought you have and you start to get into worry, do you know you're magnifying the doctor's report? over what the word of God says, which is by the stripes of Jesus, you are healed. In other words, you're worshiping that doctor's report. Think about it. How many of us have worshiped the bad situation that's in front of us through worry? Isn't that what worry is, right? You're using your imagination. You're using the part that was built on the inside of you to put your thoughts towards Jesus, right? We become what we behold, Worship is honoring, it's adoring, it's being wild about something. But instead of using our imagination to be wild about the report of the Lord and be thankful that it says, by his stripes we are healed, there's a doctor's report that's getting way more attention, way more worry, and you're basically choosing to worship that instead of the one who has the better and best report for you. So we all worship something. That's why the first commandment was have no other gods before me. We all know there's no other gods out there that God had to compete with to become the God. Yet right there in black and white, he said, look, you can make something else a God in your life. And you do it through worship. You do it by idolizing something, by being wild about something. And, and, and I said this last week, I'm going to say it again. I'm not going to be the one that says, so throw away your hobbies, throw away everything you enjoy. No, bring the Lord into those things. Bring the Lord into those things and watch how much better you'll spend your time. Watch how much more you'll even enjoy those things, even with your family. God doesn't want you to say no to everything. He just wants you to invite him into everything. And as we worship, we are doing that. Even in, in, in Colossians, it says, do everything as unto the Lord. Do it as unto the Lord. Sandy gets here and cleans uh, uh, for, for all of us out of the goodness of her heart because she wants to serve her church. And I'm telling you, this worship for her, she enjoys it. For somehow she tells us thank you when she leaves. Like, thank you for, you're thanking me for, for letting you clean? But she has found something that she can invite the Lord into that she enjoys and she cleans. And, and we use music for that. And, 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 and use your own hobbies for that. Use your time with your family to invite the presence of God into that and watch it become ignited with even more passion. We were made and created to worship. We sang about it today. Uh, we, we were singing about that. The band was singing about it. Uh, now I have a purpose. Now I have a destiny. You made me for your glory. Revelation 4.11 says, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you have created all things, and for your pleasure they are and were created. Here's the final part of last week's review. What's the purpose of man? Well, if you ask people, they'll all say something different. Christians might say to heal the sick. Somebody else might say to bring people into the kingdom. Somebody else might say to make disciples. Those are all good things. But take it back to the very beginning. Keep asking the question. 
When man was created, did any of those things exist? The answer is no. God made Adam and Eve, and there was no one to get saved. There was no sick to heal. There was no poor to feed. There was no hungry to feed. There was nothing to take care of. There was no disciples to be made. They were created, according to the book of Revelation, for God's pleasure. That is still our purpose. All the other good things we can take part in, praying for the sick, seeing them recover, casting out demons, seeing them flee, spending time with people and seeing families reunite after separation, seeing people come into the kingdom, making disciples, leading people into maturity with Jesus. These are good things, but our purpose, the reason we were created, how do we fulfill it? We were created for worship, and we fulfill our greatest call through worship. However, we live in a world that is very right now confused about identity specifically, right? I don't even have to get into details, but right now, everybody in the world is searching for identity, and where a lot of people claim to be finding it is not the right place. As a believer, we can find our identity in the Word, in Christ, and let me tell you, one path to finding that identity is through worship, this is one of the benefits that I was talking about. It's not the reason we worship, but in worship, as we worship in spirit and in truth, as we set our gaze and we adore and honor the Lord, as we become more and more wild about him and more and more wild about stepping into his presence, even at maybe the wrong time, maybe when we're at work, working a nine to five, all of a sudden we start to think about the Lord and we're like, man, this is not the time or place. But let me tell you, the Lord is not concerned about you finding the right time and place to look to him and begin to adore him. And as we take those steps into his presence, as we set our gaze to him and don't take it off, I'm telling you, and I'm going to show you in the word how we can find more identity and more purpose than we could ever find by going on some soul searching journey or some journey where people like to say this thing now, I'm just doing me right now. Where are you working right now? I'm just doing me right now, trying to figure things out. What, what are your hobbies? I, I'm just kind of doing me right now, figuring things out. I, I just don't think it's going to go anywhere. I'm sorry. Invite the Lord into doing you right now, and we'll see what happens, right? Maybe something will happen there. But that's a little bit self-serving, right? It's a little bit self-seeking. It's a little bit putting our focus on ourselves. And we just did a series called The Greatest all based on the fact that Jesus said the greatest in the kingdom is actually one who gets down and serves somebody else. Not about serving yourself or even self-seeking. Seeking. Serking. That's a good word. Yeah. It's like seeking and serving. We're serking. <laughs> you can find your identity, which is in Christ through worship. It will light you up with more passion more purpose, like we sang about. You want a purpose? You want to know your destiny? You want something to go after? Do you want a cause? Put everything else to the side. Begin to look, adore, and honor Jesus more than ever. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. I love breaking down scriptures, sometimes thinking about them like maybe you haven't thought about them before. You know, all things are created new. Yes, I become saved. But just, just think about this for a second. Let's break it down. Do you remember the day you got saved? I, I would raise your hand if you remember the day you got saved. I'm asking you if you remember because I don't. I, I know I was really young when I got saved. I don't remember. I do remember the day I got filled with the Holy Spirit. I was 12. I was kneeling down at this altar right here. I started praying in tongues. Our youth pastor at the time was laying hands on me. I do remember that day. Uh, but 
Over half of us remember the day we got saved. How many of you were adults when you got saved? Let's see those hands. Okay, so you probably really, really remember that day. Did you look in a mirror after you got saved? You might have could see something different, maybe like on the inside. Maybe you saw like a different look in your eyes. But for the most part, in the natural, you looked about the same after you got saved. So what does this mean? All things are created new. Well, we got to think about it and we got to jump into the word a little bit to figure out what that means because it's not any type of natural thing we can see and say, ooh, now my clothes are new, now my face is new, my hair is new, everything is new. No, this is talking about a change that happens on the inside. And instead of just walking around making claims and saying things that we haven't really thought about, behold, all things are made new. No, let's find out what that new identity actually is. Let's figure out what those new things are. We can do it by going to the word. We can do it by putting our attention and we can find it in worship. But if we don't go after the knowledge, then we might walk around saved, however, never become aware of our true identity or the deeper part of who we are in Christ because it is good, good news and it changes everything and it starts on the inside and it will work its way outside and change everything about your flesh as well if you allow it to. And is it as simple as looking to Jesus? Is it as simple as adoring him? Is it as simple as discovering this in worship? Well, it's absolutely the start. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, we all with open face beholding as in a glass. In other words, like looking into a mirror, right? To see the glory of the Lord are changed into that same image from glory to glory, even as by the spirit of the Lord. In other words, uh, my interpretation, I guess, of this verse is you become what you behold. So as a believer, look to Jesus, right? We can do that in worship. The best way is to, to look in here, the word. James even says, use this word as a mirror, and you can read about those changes and that new creature that's on the inside. So you got to get to know the word. That's kind of the spirit, that's, that's part of the spirit and truth of worship. Get to know the word, but as you look to Jesus, you become what you behold. I'm going to end with the story about Peter, but I'm going to, before we get there, we're going to read another story about Mary. You know, last week we talked about Mary and Martha, how Martha was, was working and preparing a meal and doing good things, and you could maybe even argue she was doing things that needed to be done. However, when she pointed out to Jesus that my sister is just sitting there at your feet and there's work to be done, I don't think it's fair. That's really what she said. I, how many of you had that thought this week? Well, that's not fair. It's not fair. Listen, you don't need to look to the world or anybody else to treat you fairly. You are a child of God, and it wasn't fair that Jesus came and died for you and gave up his life for you, and we're all happy to receive that. So let's just look to him and say, thank you that life isn't fair. Thank you that, that you got treated badly, and I'm getting treated good. Thank you that you were forsaken, and I'm never forsaken. We need to be a little more thankful that life isn't fair, if you ask me. So Mary is at the feet of Jesus, and Martha says, it's not fair. And Jesus says, she's actually figured out the more important thing. I'm not going to take it away from her. I think it's very important to note, he didn't say, Martha, you're doing the wrong thing. Really, what he said was, Mary's doing the better thing. There's two things you can be doing here. She chose the better one. I want to be a believer that chooses the better thing. I want to be a believer that's choosing to sit at the feet of Jesus instead of finding work to do because we live in a world that wants nothing more than for you to find your identity in the work that you do or in the things you accomplish. That's what this world will push you into. 
And really, that's what the enemy will push you into as well. Because if he can get you into a works mentality, I am the work I complete. I am the jobs that I do. I am these things. Then as soon as he can get your focus on your shortcomings and your failures, then the identity goes into the trash and you think I am a failure because I failed. I am lower because I haven't completed something. I like getting stuff done. And I'm telling you, in my flesh, even on a day off, I will start trying to think of something I've accomplished. And if it's nothing, I'll just go find a closet to clean or something. It drives Lisa crazy. Why can't you just sit here and relax? Well, it's kind of relaxing straightening up this closet. It kind of is, right? But I can do it out of a spirit of if I don't accomplish something, this day was a waste, right? Here's the thing about worship. Here's the thing about worship. In the story we're going to read today, in the story we're going to read today, there were people that saw something that Mary did as she pours oil on the feet of Jesus, and they said, she's just wasting it. But that's not how she saw it. So I want to talk about that. You ready? I'm just going to read this story. We're not going to find our identity in work. We're going to find our identity in Christ. And his work was complete. He said, it is finished because the work is complete. As a believer, it's our job to step into the rest, meaning resting, like I'm sitting down, a position of, that's why we're seated in heavenly places. That's why there's a table that he's prepared for us that we come and sit at in the presence of our enemies. When we can believe, and when we can get to the point, when we believe that the work was actually complete with Jesus, we will enter a place of rest like never before. And your identity will no longer be in the things you accomplish or the work you do. Because you know what? When the work ends, the identity does as well. When there's nothing left to do, where does the work go? When the kids are, are raised and they're adults, there's a lot of parents that realize they don't have an identity outside of being a mother or a father. And those are important things. It's some of the greatest calling we have to raise our kids. However, it can't be where we find our identity. It can't be in any work. So let's read this. Six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. So a short time before this, y'all remember that story? Lazarus was dead. Jesus was out of town, and I love this. Instead of rushing to get back to town to raise Lazarus from the dead, they finished what they were doing in that town. They made their way back to Bethany. Jesus stood in front of his tomb. He'd been dead for four days. He said, roll away the stone, and boy, do people have some excuses. How many times has Jesus spoken to you, and you give him every excuse, right? We can all relate to this. He said, roll away the stone, and they said, but the smell. He's been dead for four days. It's not going to be good, Jesus. He said, roll away the stone. So many times we got good excuses even. However, Jesus says, I'm saying what I'm saying for a reason. Just do it. Roll away the stone. Lazarus had been for four days. He walks out of the grave, and people knew he was dead. They were mourners. The whole town knew. They saw him walk out. He was alive, and not like a zombified version. He was good. He was good. In fact, he's, his home right here, he's hosting Jesus. So that was a time before this, and here he is with his sisters, Mary and Martha, hosting Jesus and the disciples. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard. Don't know what that is. Sounds kind of funny. And she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. 
The house was filled with the fragrance, but Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, that perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. I love this part. Not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. Jesus replied, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not have me. First point I want to take from this is Mary's focus. This is Mary, the sister of Lazarus. She saw her brother die. She mourned his death. She saw him walk out of his grave because Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. This is Mary who sat at his feet and Martha was working and Jesus said, she has chosen the better thing. She's just sitting at my feet and spending time with me. This is Mary who had her gaze set on Jesus and didn't take it off. Sitting at his feet, that was worship. I'm positive she was at his feet saying, thank you, thank you, thank you, as her brother walked out of that grave. There was no mistake. She didn't sit there and think, well, maybe he was just mostly dead. Maybe he just walked out of the grave because he, he was only mostly, no, she knew he was dead, dead, and Jesus brought him back to life. She put her focus on him, and she took this perfume, and I love that, that John doesn't just point out that it was expensive. He says it was equal to about a year's worth of wages. Why is that important? Because what do our wages represent? They represent your time. They represent your effort. They represent your energy, right? You go somewhere, a place of employment, and that's what you have to offer. My talent, my gifts, my energy, my thoughts, my time, whatever it is. You're offering your life to a company and they're saying, I will give you this much money in exchange for your life. And you agree to it, and you work, and you get paid, and, and, and that's how this world's economy works. And John is quick to point out that this was worth a year of her wages. So if she worked 40 hours a week, 52 weeks out of the year, that's a whole lot of time. That's a whole lot of energy. That is a whole lot of money, right? It's a whole lot of life. Yet, looking to Jesus, honoring him, adoring him, that's worship. Through worship, she was completely set free from the chains that bound her to the things of this world. She wasn't worried about the economy or what it was going to do. She wasn't worried about where her next meal was going to come from. She wasn't worried about the next raise, the next bonus. These are all good things. Don't worry. I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to say we don't need or want these things. It's good to desire that. It's good to desire a raise. It's good to know where your next meal is coming from. However, what we see right here is that she was completely set free from those concerns as she looked to Jesus. And what did we read last week? Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. She was looking to Jesus. She was adoring him. She was wild about Jesus. She poured this perfume out on his feet and wiped it with her hair. Can you imagine that scene? Can you imagine how uncomfortable everybody else around her was? They were probably just holding their breath, hoping Jesus was going to be like, hey, hey, that's, that's enough. Let's uh, put the hair back up. Let's, uh, let's, but they, they were probably just begging Jesus. This is getting weirder and weirder. He just said, no, she's doing the right thing. She was set free from every thought that held her bound to this world and this world system. She had found something she didn't have before. She'd found identity. She'd found purpose. 
She said, listen, I, I can lose all this right here. I'm going to waste it in the right place. Because think about worship. I, I mentioned this last week, and I hope you thought about it throughout the week. But worship is technically, in the natural, a waste of time. It doesn't serve any purpose, right? There, there, right now, I'm, I'm teaching you the word, and that serves a purpose. You can apply this to your life, and you can, get, you can, you can, you can see success. You can apply the word to your life, and you can, uh, you, can, you can learn from it. You can learn how to raise kids. You can, you can benefit from what we're doing right now. But worship in spirit and truth, we're not going out. And what you'll see in Judas, we're not feeding the hungry with worship. We're not clothing the naked with worship. We're not funding hope for India with worship. We're not bringing people into our church. In fact, we're taking the largest part of our service usually and just wasting it at the feet of Jesus. I've heard pastors before brainstorm together, how can we use worship to bring people into our church? Well, let's make sure it's the most modern music. Let's make sure all the people on stage are wearing cool jeans and aren't over the age of 40. Laugh at that, but I'm telling you, I know someone that got fired when he turned 40 because he was too old to be a worship leader at that point, according to that place. I can say it because I'm 40. <laughs> too old. I will never get hired at certain places to be a worship leader, at least. I can, like, lead the men's group now, I guess. <laughs> but people from the beginning of time have been trying to figure out a purpose for worship. But that's when it ceases to be worship. That's when it ceases to be worship. In worship, there is only one, only one goal, and that is to honor, to adore our Father in heaven, to take whatever it is that holds us and binds us to this world and just pour it out at his feet with no concern. When Mary had her eyes on Jesus, that's how she lived. Here's the second point I want to pull from this. The contrast is we get some insight into Judas. He's looking at this act of worship. He's viewing what's happening. She's pouring out the oil. She's washing her, his feet with her hair. And all he can see in this moment is not the sacred part of it. It's not the worship. It's not the blessing that Jesus is receiving. It is just the perfume and the money that it cost. Because that's where he found his identity, is in that money, is in that work. And sadly, that's also what we see at the end of his life. He decided that the life of Jesus was worth about 30 pieces of silver. And then he went to the temple and he said, give me 30 pieces of silver, I'll give you Jesus. And it was soon after that, that deal was made, he realized that there was not a price that could be put on the life of Jesus. And as he ended his life, he threw the money back. He learned that lesson, but a little bit too late for him. I hope we learn it before it's too late, that there is not a good place to find our identity outside of who we are in Christ. And if we become what we behold, then I pray that in a moment that we can take time out of our day and pour out our thoughts and our affection and our adoration at the feet of Jesus instead of counting the cost and saying, well, it's getting kind of late. I got to go do this. I got to go do that. Instead of that, we just begin to waste all of our time at his feet more than ever. That we take anything we have and we offer it to him. It's all yours. It's all yours anyway. As we look to him, we become what we behold and in worship and when it is pure worship in spirit and in truth 
we become united with more identity about who we are in Christ than ever. What do I mean by that? How do I mean that? Everything that in every blessing in Christ is in us as believers. It's his spirit that dwells within us. Those things that all things are created in you, that's talking about you on the inside, your spirit. You are now filled with the Holy Spirit when you say yes to Jesus. So as you look to him, you're not seeing something you want to become. You're seeing something you are on the inside. And as that begins to influence the outside, you will then become acting more and more like him in every way. It begins to influence your thoughts, your actions. But it's not, Lord, I'm looking to you and I want to be like you. No, it's I'm looking at Jesus and everything I see in you is in me through the Holy Spirit. And when you know that, it starts to change the way you think. It starts to change and influence the decisions that you make. Instead of, should I, should I, should I go tell this person about the gospel, I, I, the stranger over here in Walmart or not? It, it's always a good time to tell somebody the gospel. Sure, go do it. Jesus would take this chance. You're going to go do it. You're going to become more and more like him. But when our eyes are on Jesus in worship, the chains, everything that binds us to this world begins to fall off just like it was with Mary. She found something. She found identity in him like nowhere else. Judas, his whole time with Jesus, I guess, was just there for the money, stealing money off the top, and we're not going to end like that. We're not going to end like that. Keep your eyes on Jesus. We're going to go to one different story as we close here. This will be my final point. But this is another one of my favorite stories about somebody finding their identity, and it happened through worship, through adoration, through honor. Remember, worship is not just the action of standing up, singing songs, uh, playing music. No, worship is something that happens on the inside. Adoration, to be wild about, to honor. Peter spent, at this point, probably a couple years with Jesus. So the background, he was a fisherman, and from a small town, Jesus calls him. He, he, he leaves it all behind and follows Jesus. At this point, it's probably been a couple years. And Jesus asks a question. You know what? I want to read it, actually. Matthew chapter 16, if you're following along. I don't have it in my notes, but I just want to read this story. So Peter's been following Jesus. It's been a couple years at least, because this is towards the end. This is uh, close to when Passover was about to happen, and that's when Jesus was, was killed. And then Here we go. Verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea, Philippi, he asked the disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Then he said, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn it from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you lock on earth will be locked in heaven. Whatever you open on earth will be opened in heaven. Then he sternly warned them not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Peter spent years with Jesus. He'd seen the miracles. He'd seen the water into wine, raising of the dead, healing of the sick, and he came to a revelation. I've spent the last two years of my life looking at you. I've spent the last two years of my life honoring you. At one point, he says, 
We've given up everything for you. So for a couple years, he'd given up everything that holds him down, that binds him to this world. And after two years of looking to Jesus, two years of honor, he looks at Jesus and says, I've had a revelation of who you are. You are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And he wasn't asking for identity. He wasn't asking for purpose. He was making a declaration of faith in an act of worship. And Jesus looks at him and he says, yes, and you, Simon, I'm changing your name right now to Peter, Petra. It means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my kingdom. He said, this is your purpose. This is your destiny. This is who you are. And that's what happens to every one of us, or that's what can happen to every one of us. When instead of going on a soul-searching, I just got to do me right now kind of thing, instead of letting the world or anything the world offers become our identity, instead of finding our identity in our work, in our accomplishments, instead of finding our identity in our gifts or our talents, that's an easy one, right? We have a church of some very talented people. I mean that. We have so many gifted artists in this church. But let me tell you, if you're finding your identity in that art, in those things you create that you're offering the world that are beautiful and they're good things, and I hope you keep creating, keep doing it. Do it as worship, but you can't find your identity in that. As you look to Jesus, as you invite those moments of worship, even into the art, even into the job, whatever it is, even into the raising kids, instead of finding your identity in I'm a mom or I'm a dad, instead of you finding your identity, I'm a student or I'm a teacher, instead of your identity, I'm a banker, I'm a creator, I'm a musician, I'm a singer, I'm a painter. I'm a creator. It all fades. It all changes. But there's one thing that remains. Your identity in Christ is steady, and from now until eternity, worship is something you're going to take part in. There's not going to be any work in heaven. In a million years from now, I mean, maybe we'll have jobs. I I don't know, but it's not going to be like it is now. Worship is the thing that lasts. That's what we know we'll be doing for all of eternity. Is setting our gaze to him. And how big is he? He's so big that it's never going to get boring. He's so big we're never going to think to ourselves, I've seen it all. I guess I've seen everything. What am I going to do for the next million years? Now, once you discover a million years worth of Jesus, there's going to be a million more you haven't discovered. He is the endless ocean. He is the sky that never ends. He is the the space that continually expands. We're never going to run out of exciting moments of worship as we set our gaze on him. So start now. Don't wait till all this is faded. No, loose the chains that bind you to this world by putting your gaze on Jesus, by letting him receive all your honor, by giving him all your glory by being wild about him and invite him into the things you enjoy here on this earth. And maybe there's some things he says, hey, you know what? We don't need that anymore. He gives you the desires of your heart. As you look to him, if there's something that's not beneficial for you, it'll just fall off. It'll just fall off effortlessly. Other things he's going to say, come on, let's go enjoy this together. Let's go enjoy sports with your kids together. Let's go enjoy this together. Let's play a video game together. I don't know, but whatever it is, invite him into it. And allow, by setting your gaze on him, 
to ignite you with more purpose, more passion, and first and foremost, identity like the world is missing right now. And instead of being tossed to and fro, you're going to be steady. You're going to know who you are in Christ. You become what you behold. Mary had no chains that bound her to this world as she beheld Jesus. That's powerful. It's powerful, powerful. That is something that happens as we worship. And I'm grateful. I'm so grateful. I'm going to invite the band up. Speaking of worship, let's respond with a few moments of worship. It is your highest calling. It is your purpose. Like Peter, as you worship, you may not hear the voice of God directly speak to you the way Peter did audibly. You are now Peter. Upon this rock I'll build my kingdom. You may not hear an audible voice say, this is who you are. But I'm telling you, you don't need an audible voice. You got the Holy Spirit on the inside. You got the word right here. And you have a chance as a believer to get your mind off of yourself, yet discover more about yourself than you've ever discovered on your own. The world would have us be so self-centered and so self-seeking. And we get lost in that. I mean, I, I think I said this last week, but it's such a great example. The longer I look in the mirror physically, the more flaws I find in myself. Is anybody else, anybody else there? It just happens. I don't care how beautiful you are, how young, how crisp everything is. The longer you look, the longer uh, or the more you're going to find that's wrong, that's a shortcoming. However, we got a mirror right here that tells us who we are in Christ. And the longer you look at Jesus, the more and more encouraged you're going to be. Because your identity is not in any of this that fades. It's not in any of these accomplishments that are here one day and gone tomorrow. Me and Judah cut the grass yesterday at the house. We trimmed bushes. We put new pine needles out. We did real good. And guess what? It's going to have to happen again, like within a week or so. Maybe not the bushes, maybe not the pine needles, but it's all going to need to happen again before long. That can't be our identity. Just like that accomplishment will fade, everything else will fade. As soon as you figure out the best way to do something, there's going to be somebody that figures out the next best way. As soon as you think you've become the best singer, there'll be another best singer. As soon as you paint the most beautiful piece of art, there'll be another more beautiful piece of art. But when you set your gaze on Jesus, the more wild you get about him, the more you look to him, the less and less any identity is found in anything other than him. And that's our highest calling, to look to him, to bring him glory, to bring him honor. And he's so good that as we do that, we receive purpose, we receive identity, we receive destiny. Like nothing else in this world can bring. Let's all stand together. Let's put it into action. Let's take a few more minutes, pour out some time, some energy, some effort at the feet of Jesus. And let me tell you, if you want to call, the call today is to do the word, to put it into action. I don't care if this is three minutes that we're about to sing songs or 10 minutes.
Take whatever time this is and just pour it at his feet. Lift your hands if you've never lifted your hands before. Uh, put away all the thoughts about what has to happen this afternoon and, and, and clear your mind to focus on him if you've never done that. I mean, there's some folks in this room, I'm telling you, I know this. There are some people in this room, you've never put 100% of your focus or attention on him because your mind is always on so many other things. So I want to encourage you right now, do it. Make a choice. Put all that worry down at the feet of Jesus and just look to him. I'm tired of worshiping the issues. I'm tired of giving my attention. I'm tired of looking at, at any report this world gives and thinking, oh man, that's, that's huge. How can this get fixed? I'm not going to worship that problem anymore. We have a God that has every creative solution. We have a God that says, let your mind be filled with the hope of his calling, not with the worries and concerns of this world. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Let's worship for a few moments. <laughs>